And I used to have the argument with Daniel Levy. I used to say to Daniel, look, he, he used to have the perception that everyone should want to come to Tottenham because of the training ground and look at the restaurants magnificent the and, the, yeah. and the hand dryers dry your hand in three seconds. And I used to say, no one gives a shit about that. That, I feel, was a big part of why what we achieved, really, because it wasn't about the trimmings. We didn't feel comfortable. We were there for a reason. That was just to win to football win, matches yeah. Yeah. and to win titles, and, and that's exactly what we did. So he's okay. got wind that Harry Kane's right. playing, so now he wants to question me on why Harry Kane is playing right. instead of Roberto Saldado, yeah. and I'm devaluing a player for £29 million, what he spent, who's 28 years of age. Right. I said to him, it never even crossed my mind that I'd be devaluing him. I want to win the football match. Do you? This is Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode, a man with over 400 Premier League appearances that famously captained the title-winning Blackburn side of the mid-90s. He's had spells in management, bringing through Harry Kane and reaching an FA Cup final with Aston Villa. Tim Sherwood, welcome to Upfront. Pleasure. Thank you very much. I don't think our paths have particularly crossed over the years, have they? I think we've passed one another in the hallways of various broadcasters. Yeah. But I we... Think, I think pass in Sinatra's possibly... Oh, and in Spain. Times, yeah. Have we? Okay. All right. Okay. There's <laughs> a trip down Amnesia Lane we don't need to go on air with. Um, one of the first things that I wanted to have a conversation with you about is something that is quite unique that's only relational to a few of you in the world, which is there's only 15 guys that have lifted the Premier League title and you're in amongst some very salubrious company there. Does that resonate particularly with you, that that unique claim to fame? Nice. It's huge. Massive. Um Something will live with me for for the rest of my life, obviously, and my family, and and it's given me a lot of pleasure. Um, obviously, give me a stature in life as well, you know, which obviously helps. You know, we all got to live after football, so uh, I mean, achieving that at, at a town club like Blackburn Rovers mm. is an a incredible, incredible achievement. I think mean, it's the only town, isn't it? Uh, it's only won the Premier League. You know, Jack Walker had a vision, um, and he's. He got Kenny Dalglish to come in and build a team, and I think Kenny done a decent job of it. You know, remember getting promoted in the first year from the championship, then we finished fourth, yeah, following season yeah. second, and then managed to win it. Um, just amazing. I look at the three most or four most defining moments in football in the last 30, 40 years. One of them is the introduction of Sky. The other is Jack Walker. The third thing is Roman Abramovich. Mm. And the fourth thing is Sheikh Mansour. And it's going to kind of lead me into a question or an observation that you might agree with, might disagree with, that there's an element of these things, and specifically Blackburn, where a title was bought and manufactured out of someone's innate ability to spend a lot of money. Mm. When, when someone talks to you about Blackburn's achievements of winning the Premier League in '95 and makes that observation... Does that have any rancor with you or just going Not really, because I think loads of teams have tried it in the past and, and previous to that and spent a lot more money than what Blackburn ever did. Um, and if you what, in 95? Yeah, I think so. I mean, who so. would have done that then? I, I don't know who, but um, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But I think there's a lot of teams, obviously Leeds United nearly went out of business when yeah. they tried to do it, yeah. when Rio Ferdinand and all the, the but likes But that was post in. 
That was post-95. I think if you look at the money, what Jack actually spent, it wasn't a great deal of money. I mean, the record signing was three and a half million, wasn't it? Yeah, Alan but that's Shira. but that's relational to the time, isn't it? If you take three and a half million for a striker in 1995 with 30 or 40 million pounds of a TV money, mm. right, and then you turn it into three billion a year worth of TV money, you're talking about 70, 80 million pound people, mm. players being bought by equitable terms. So do you think it's an unfair analysis? Because we're, you know, with great respect to, to Blackburn, when you start buying players like Shearer and Sutton and goalkeepers like Tim Flowers, you're mm. preparing to win something. And that was the vision that Jack had, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. You know, and the idea that you can literally create Blackburn. I mean, I know they were a side back in the 50s or, or earlier in, in the tenure of football, but it was an element of this is a blueprint that's been followed. Jack started it. I, I think it's a race to the bottom. Mm. I would because it caused people like me to spend more money than perhaps I would have wanted yeah. to. But it was uh, when I denote it as Jack Walker, Roman Abramovich, and then Sheikh Mansour, do you, do you see the line that I'm going down, which is Absolutely. the fact that a lot of money comes in and all of a sudden you've got a side that's been built and bought rather than built mm. organically and recruited and developed young players and so on and so forth. It's gone, right, I'll have the best players and put them in a side and away we go, we're in a league. Yeah, but they wasn't all the best players. The best players were at Man United mm. um, and they were the team we had to topple and they were the team we were dominating at the time and Kenny Dalglish gave us that belief that we could actually stand up and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and that's exactly what we did. Um, we come out second best on many occasions, but 94, 95 season, we we didn't, and, Did you, and we deserved think, we deserved to win the league. There's a lot of terminologies being uh, being bandied around about who does things and who doesn't do things, and say for Arsenal now, current currency, people are accusing them of bottling. Mm. You guys lose the last game of the season, yeah, and require someone else to produce an outcome that controlled your immediate destiny. Was that not an element of potentially bottling it at the critical? I think moment? everyone looks at it bottling because it comes towards the end of the season and obviously famously Sir Alex Ferguson calls it squeaky bum time. Um because they got over the line course and distance many, many times. I don't think Arsenal are bottling it at all because I think they've lost points during the season as well and people forget it. But it's it's in the spotlight when it comes towards the running. Um, and certainly we were nervous. I would lie in if I yeah. said we wasn't nervous because we'd obviously finished fourth, then second and then we actually believed going into the 94, 95 season, we would win it. Um, and to be so far ahead and then looking over our shoulders and they're chasing us. And if you want any team not to chase you, it's Man United because they've done it and they've got that experience and they were coming, they were coming fast. Yes, we were nervous, but I don't think our performance on the last day, I think Liverpool were just decent and yeah. they scored good goals. So I don't think we bottled it. I think our running was, was getting tense. Uh, and certainly you listen to the noise outside and you you hear people talking about bottling it and I'm sure Miko Arteta's hearing the same noise and the players are as well um, and like I say you don't want anyone to chase you if they're the best and at the moment the team what we're chasing Arsenal mm. or Man City who yeah. are the best and, and are very experienced in winning titles so I think it's harsh to say bottling it and I understand the frustration when the players and the manager hear people questioning their gut and their determination and their drive and saying that really they haven't they're not cut out to together to win the title and I think that's what bottling it is I don't think they swallowed it at all and I don't think we did I think just think circumstances come when points were getting taken away from us um, but we still managed to get over the line Dalglish I mean I met Kenny on a number of occasions I know his son Paul who's very good company to be around yeah. and Dalglish to me obviously is a legend of football insofar as 
legends of statuses that are by certain people, they're handed out like confetti in this mm. day and age. But I think probably bona fide, Kenny Dalglish for his achievements at Celtic, Liverpool, the backdrop of the challenges that Liverpool had with all the tragedies that were yeah. there. Was he the difference for you guys? Absolutely. In what way? I think it was because of his calming influence. And I um, mean, you know, you're listening, you're watching the games, you're watching United, who were our rivals. Um, you listen to Sir Alex Ferguson with the mind games, you know, he's talking to the media. And Kenny just never bit once. Never bit, yeah. he, he just calmed us down. We looked at him as a reference to someone who had been and crossed the line before uh, as a player and as a manager. Um, and we just we just sponged everything what he had there to give us. Um, and, you know, I, I listen now, I've obviously been at Tottenham. No one talks about Tottenham without saying it was a fantastic training ground and, and the mm. ground. I mean, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But these are all component parts of it. You mm. do need to have the. You've got who is it? Um, Roy Keane going bananas about the facilities when he played for Republic yeah. of Ireland, and talking about the evolution. You have got Ronaldo coming back to Man United and turning around and saying, "Well, it's never, it's never moved on." Yeah. But your argument is, well, that's a load of old tosh. And I think it doesn't was, matter. It's the core principles of we, what the business we had, does. We had zero training ground. We went to the ground. We got changed there. We drove to a to a park. The 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 coaches went early to clear the dog mess off the pitch. We had to stop training when a funeral procession come through the park. That, I feel, was a big part of why what we achieved, really, because it wasn't about the trimmings. We didn't feel comfortable. We were there for a reason, and that was just to win to football win, matches yeah. Yeah. and to win titles, and, and it's exactly what we did. It's not about the facility. It's about the people in it, uh, and I think the people what were gathered by that man, Kenny Dalgleish, I think was a fantastic cocktail of leaders a group of guys who didn't feel like we were doing Blackburn a favour by being up there, wasn't mm. up there for the money. We was up there to succeed, and it's exactly what we did. When you look at Blackburn and you win the league in 95, and then five years later you're relegated mm. into the championship, Sooness takes over, brings the team back up again, and you look at them now, and they've been out of the Premier League for quite some time now. Does it fill you with a little bit of sadness? Because obviously it's a club that, like I said, you're one of 15 people, Tony Adams, mm. Vincent Company, John Terry, one of 15 people at this moment in time yeah. that have been ever able to lift the Premier League. It does. It, 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 it really does because it's um, – I felt that they missed a trick really. I think after we won the league, we should have strengthened. I know that Dugarry and Zidane were at the training ground ready to sign for us. And, really? And we decided not to do it. Yeah, because there's that famous quote, Jack Walker said, why do we need Zidane when we got Tim Sherwood? Okay. Now, I, I know right. he, liked, he liked to drink, Jack, and right. especially Must've that done. morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously Zidane weren't the player he was now, but I think the, what I'm trying to point, yeah. I'm trying to make, we had an opportunity. We were champions of England and we should have put some foundations in place. And I think that was our chance, you know, to to try and attract players to come to Blackburn, a small town. Mm. Um, I think that was the opportunity to be able to do it. So the foundations weren't there and it just crumbled uh, mm. and, it, and it took its time. Um, but in the end, they paid the ultimate price, you know, mm. get rele relegated to the championship and, you know, could have got a lot worse than that. Um, they've had a good season this year. They have, yeah. Um, you know, it was a fantastic last day of the season with Mill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, like you say, it's not going to be it's not going to be a quick fix. You know, you might have to find another magic man like Jack Walker you know, before they come back. Moving on from from Blackburn and that period of your playing career, I'm going to talk to you about um, two you know pretty important individuals in English football that you've had a direct relationship with. One that you alleged you discovered or gave the first opportunity to, which is Harry Kane, and the other is 
Alan Shearer. You played with Shearer. You managed Kane. First of all, I think I think um, Harry's going to beat Alan Shearer's record, mm. and deservedly so. Uh, albeit, I think Alan Shearer's record was remarkable given the teams that he played for at times. Albeit, so is Harry's actually because he's mm. not playing for a side that's winning anything. When you compare and contrast, who's the who's the more complete striker? They've both got their own qualities. Uh, the similarities are between their ears, uh, their their drive, determination, will to win, um, single mindedness is similar. She strikes me more of a leader, though. No. no, 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 no more than a leader than than Harry Kane. Harry Kane's a leader. Harry Kane is someone who wants to get better every single day, just like Alan did, and he's got that single mindedness to let no one stand in his way. Now, whether he needs to leave Tottenham or where that debate is going to go on, you know, until he actually finally does. I'm not sure if he actually wants to leave. Um, but Alan Shearer was exactly the same. He had opportunities to go to Man United mm. and he wanted to stay at Blackburn. But what do you make of this? Is it enormous for a player to play for your country, get to European Championship finals, yeah. get to World Cup semi-finals, be record goal scorer for your country, be record goal scorer for your top for your football club, but not to have won a trophy how much I mean Shearer had the luxury of going to Newcastle indulging himself with that emotional reunion with his boyhood football club but he'd won the Premier League mm. with you lot at Blackburn what do you make of the the, the process because I don't I'm, I think I'm with you I think Harry will end up staying mm. at Tottenham and I think that opportunity to have gone was probably now gone do you, I, I do you think, think you'll look, can, look back on it and go, maybe? Possibly. I mean, we talked about it earlier. You know, you grow up as a kid wanting to win things and, and I know the, the boy very well and his mentality would have been absolutely that. He doesn't, he's not playing football on the, on, in the playground because he wants to live in a mansion and drive a Bentley. Ain't his motivation, never has been. Obviously, he wants to win. He's a, he's come very close, mostly with Mauricio Pochettino when he was a manager, Champions League final, couple of other League Cup finals, but they never crossed the line. Support act hasn't been fantastic for him. You know, where would Tottenham be without him? I would suggest this season, mid-table. Where would they be without him if they got rid of him this summer? I would suggest mid-table. I mm. think it's going to be a hard building process. Um, but he's not going to be there forever. You, you know, even if he, he, he finishes his career, they have to start looking to build the club beyond Harry Kane. And they're not doing that at the moment. So if I was Harry, I would have a serious sit down with with Daniel, which I know he, he's having and, and had and continue to have, and decide wh where they want to go and, and when do they want to make this decision. I I I think you're right. I think he stays this yeah. season. I think he goes on a free transfer like Sol Campbell did what, when he went to time? Arsenal. Yes. So you don't I mean I you don't think that Daniel will get him to sign a new contract. Why would he sign a new contract? Why would he sign a new contract for what? Another hundred grand a week? Why would he do that when he can he can go on a free? He can take his pick of where he wants to go. I know he's going to be thirty years of age, but Harry Kane is one of the fittest boys you've ever seen. Misconception that he gets injured all the time. He's hardly missed a game this year. I think he averages missing six games a season. Mm. You know, we're talking about a real machine, like a powerhouse, like a, a, a mentality monster, what Jurgen Klopp would call him. Mm. This, this is this is the animal. This is a, an incredible form. I think he will win. I think he, whether he stays at Tottenham, um, he will make the correct decision. But in the end, he will go somewhere where he where he will win. And you know, I'd be I'd be delighted to see that. Like where? I think there's two options for him. I really do. I think there's three. I, Harry Kane went to Arsenal, which ain't happening. He goes to Chelsea, possibly. And if he went to Man United, yeah. 
they would be straight away installed as second favourites to win the Premier League behind Man City, any of those sides. He could go to Newcastle and be the same. He is a difference maker. Mm. For someone who scores 20 plus 30 goals per season, every Premier League season, you know, pretty much where he's been, he's the difference. You really think, you really think that for one more season, given the way Daniel looks and feels, and we'll talk about Daniel in a minute, uh, about the economics that Tottenham require, he's just going to let Harry go, pay him another 250 grand a week or whatever Harry's currently getting at Tottenham because he's getting a decent wage there. Um, and if he gets another 100 grand a week on a new contract because he signs a new contract, he's not going to get three or 400 grand unless he goes to Saudi. He's going to still get the same sort of money going somewhere else. So mm. his motivation would be to go and win something. Do you really think that Spurs are going to go, oh, we'll just have one more season out of you then and we'll end up with jack shit out of it? No. So they're gonna. So so then that doesn't that doesn't make yeah, sense. What you well, said. It then. does. It does make sense well, because it's Harry Kane's decision. It's Daniel's decision whether he goes now or not. It's Harry yeah, Kane's decision whether he signs a new contract. Yeah, of course or not. it is. Of course it is. But my point is, is that we we're we're, that, we're then suggesting that Harry Kane will only stay at Spurs. Is that what you're saying? That that's what you're saying. I think he'll stay at only Spurs, stay at Spurs for another year, and that's the end of the discussion. And and ir irrespective of what Daniel offers him, then there's no point Daniel keeping him, is there? Because that makes my argument, which is exactly. he's going to give him away for nothing in well, a year's then, time. that's Daniel's decision. I think Daniel holds all the cards at this present moment in time because he's got a year left of his contract. Daniel's got to weigh up how much is the Champions World qualification. Yeah, Harry holds all the cards, yeah. yeah. Well, Harry holds the cards, doesn't he? I think Daniel holds the cards. Why is that? He's got because a year he left. Can't. I mean, he held the cards last, last year as well when they turned down 150 million for him. When that's were, not true. They've turned down that's 150 million for him. When that's they wanted, not they, true. That, that, so that, what, what is, no one offered 150 million quid for him. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you they didn't? But I'm, Who told you they didn't? Well, Daniel. Daniel told you they didn't yeah. offer. Yeah. Nowhere near it. Well, listen. Anyway, we can, we can we can we can debate that until the cows come home. But you were a massive advocate of his, and you pushed back on the notion that someone else could tell you, whoever it was, the sporting director at the time, that he wasn't somebody that should play in the side. Mm. You must have seen certain things, not just the ability on the pitch, but the psychological mm. strength that the fella has to be able to make the decision that you wanted to stand straight behind him in the face of a chairman saying, why are you picking him? A sporting director saying you shouldn't be picking him. Yeah, more more so the mental capacity, uh, his ability. I knew that would come through. He obviously had ability growing up as a kid. Um, he had that ability to come off as a number 10, go and score goals as a number nine. Pretty much everything. His, his appreciation of, of others around him, his game knowledge was fantastic. Um, but unfortunately, he had to keep getting loaned out. I mean, he wasn't getting appreciated. He but that was would a be young culturally boy. good for him, though, wouldn't it? To yeah, go it to some of these places. Like, we went to, well, did yeah. he go to Millwall and go to. Yeah, he went to Millwall, he went to Orient, he yeah. went to Norwich, he went to Leicester. Not one of them managers who managed them football clubs said he'd be a Premier League player. Not one. Um, but every time he come back, I said, it's really important that we, you're not judged there. It's better than the platform, what you're going to be given here. The 21s, 23s are a waste of time. They should go yeah. out there and they should play real competitive football. Yeah. That is what they need to do. And that was the only platform we could give him, which was better than him staying around and playing. Uh, I could play in the under 21s and 23s now. You know, it's just it's not a competitive level. Um, and it's a complete waste of time. Um, so you try and find the best for the player, and that was the best for him. And he, like you say, he did. He he went out there. He, he's playing in a tough environment where he can't take liberties. You can't be self indulgent because some of these boys have got to have the win bonus yep. to pay their mortgages. Yep. And yep. he appreciated that. Man's football, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that he come back at the right time. And I said to him that this it's time now not to go back. You can't go back on loan anymore. 
you know, so we'll fight for, for your place here. And and that's what he did. He got his nut down and and trained really hard, outperformed many other strikers who were there. And, and he was just getting overlooked time and time again. Um, and he was disheartening for the boy, you know. So um, he was obviously got fortunate that Villas Boas left the club. I took over, mm. um, and I decided after a couple of weeks that it was right time to to throw him into the fire. Was it really? Was it really a bid from Leicester for six hundred grand? I walk off the training pitch and I say to Harry on a Friday, "You're going to play tomorrow." So he looked at me as if to say, "Yeah, about time." You know, and I, and I like that attitude. Mm. You know, I knew he wasn't going to be fretting in his bed, not sleeping all night. He come mm. in, he was buzzing. Probably yeah. got straight on the phone go, to yeah. his dad and his brother and his wife, girlfriend at the time. You know, he was really excited to come back in. As soon as I got into the restaurant um, at a fantastic training complex there at Tottenham, um, I went upstairs and uh, Franco Baldini comes over to me and he says, Tim, the chairman, wants to have a chat with you. So I go, fine. I said, where is he? Just tell him I'm in here. He said, no, no, we'll go to his office. So he, he escorts me in there. So we sit sit down. So Daniel says, all right, Tim, what's the team tomorrow? Yeah. So I waste my time. You know, I know exactly. I know what's coming. Waste my time. Laurie Singal, Walker, blah, blah, blah. And when I go up to the front, as soon as I mentioned Harry, he said, well, not Robbie, not Sardado, Addy. I said, no, no, Harry. He goes, well, you Why is that a bunch of, I've got, I've got to pull you up on this, right? Because as sitting here as a former owner, why is that wasting your time? You're, you're going through the team. So why are you wasting your time? Have I, have I misunderstood what because you're saying? Because he's never asked me the team before. So, so he's asking it... me the team because he knows Harry Kane's playing. Right. So he's okay. got wind that Harry Kane's right. playing. So now he wants to question me on why Harry Kane is playing right. instead of Roberto Saldado. Yeah. And I'm devaluing a player for £29 million what he spent, who's 28 years of age. Right. I said to him, it never even crossed my mind that I'd be devaluing him. I want to win the football match. Do you? He said, yes. I said, unless Fair you're point. telling me that I, I can't play this player and you want me to play Saldado in front of him yeah. or someone else. He said, no, no, of course not. Yeah. I said, okay. And then he proceeded to tell me that we're not sure he's Premier League standard. And I said, who thinks he's not Premier League standard? He said, Franco. Yeah. So Franco's sitting there. So I look at Franco and I say, is that your opinion? He said, yeah. He said, we're looking for Champions League players. He goes like this, Champions League players. But I think we should let Harry move to uh, somewhere else. I said, where do you suggest we, we let him go to? He said, well, we've got a bid from Leicester. I think we can let him go there. I said, how much is it? He said, 600 grand. I said, you want to sell this boy for 600 grand to Leicester? I said, he's at more than 600 grand worth of food since he's been yeah. at this club. I said, I, he's playing tomorrow. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how he goes and then we'll, we'll take it from there. And obviously he went into the team, he scored the, he played and scored in the first three games and never looked back. I'm what, judging. What would you have done if he'd have said to you, "No, actually, I don't want you to play him"? Then I would have said, "Well, you stand in the dugout tomorrow, then." Would you? Yeah. At that time, and he knows I would right. have said it. Right. We're going to move on to you and your managerial opportunities, and the, and Tim Sherwood, the manager. Um. Do you think of yourself? I mean, I've got to be honest. Someone that's managed fifty-six games doesn't necessarily strike me as someone that would consider themselves a manager. I don't consider myself as anything. I mean, it's, I, I know I'm capable of being a football manager. Um, I had the opportunity. I was almost thrown into the situation at Tottenham. There, I was loving my work there in from the development phase, um, and the manager left the football club. And Daniel asked me to take over. Um, for a short period of time before Pochettino coming to the club. So, is that was, the order that it went though? 
I mean, they, I mean, I I had understood it, and you're, and you're no better than me, but I'd understood it that clearly that's the situation. AVB had gone in there, and it wasn't going the way that they wanted it to go. You take over. You have an element of value of yourself. This is me paraphrasing. You can correct me any time. A value of yourself where you're not just going to be grateful for given an opportunity. You're not just going to be an interim manager like Ryan Mason. Thank you for the opportunity sort of mentality. I'm not suggesting Ryan's not a good lad. Mm. And you asked for an 18-month contract, which I understand you got. Is that right? Uh, no, I got a contract to the end of the season. Hmm. Okay, I was under the impression you got an 18-month contract. No, my contract was the same. It was to the end of the season. Right, okay. My contract my contract was exactly the same as what I was under contract anyway at the, at the football club. Right. But so, so you didn't ask Daniel for an 18-month contract? The, the, the perception was I wouldn't be an interim manager. Right. Because I didn't perception. My, I didn't want the players to feel like I was only there for the, till the end of the season. Right. Because if I think, because then I, I know what it's like when the intern comes in to teach the class, they get the rubber thrown at them from behind their head. Right. And and that is, I just think that it's it's the wrong. I to put interim managers in, I, I just think it's. No, I don't. I don't, I don't, agree I don't disagree. It. But you didn't want to be an interim manager, right? You didn't go in to take that job to be an interim manager. You didn't just want it to be a case of you didn't want the players to know that you wanted to be the manager mm -hmm. and be given an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yet my understanding is that Daniel felt that the manner in which you spoke at times to the media, and I listen, I get it, it's difficult mm. because the buggers in the media are going to hound you with the idea that perhaps you're not going to keep the job and who's going to be coming in and yeah. so on and so forth. But I get the impression that Daniel felt that every time you kind of opened your mouth, you were cutting your own throat mm. with some of the things that you were saying. What cutting what for in what regard? Well, talking about I'm not staying at the club, am I? Well, I don't know. I'm asking you no, because I'm not. if you if you, if you, what, then what was the problem about being known as an interim manager? Because, because I, I thought, the perception I think, from the players, right? Because I wanted to get a tune out of them. I yeah. wanted them to listen. But to so me. you didn't want to be a manager long term, then? Just see how it went. I did. I did all right there. You know, it was, well, it was yeah. It was, on paper, it looks all right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, you're absolutely right. It was things I said uh, in the media, which I wish, wish I never, and I, I talked too much. I was far too honest. I think in this game, you, you, if honesty doesn't pay, you know, as a manager, I don't think you can. I think you'd be honest with your players behind closed doors, absolutely. But I think you have to play the game to the media, um, managing upwards towards the chairman, yeah. um, sporting directors, absolutely. You need to learn from that. Well, if I went okay. in there again, then I would... Uh, perhaps change the way but I knew at Tottenham it wasn't a lasting relationship it was I could have stayed at the football club of course I could but because I did reasonably well there was an opportunity then yeah. to put myself um, in the frame to get another manager's job and it was the opportunity what I took at Aston Villa but if you're going in as Spurs manager it's a big job it's a difficult job and you're going in with someone that's got a reputation like Daniel that people have a perception of and, and I dealt with him both um, on a business level and a personal level. And during the time I dealt with him at Palace, I didn't much enjoy it because I didn't think he operated in the way that I'd want him to operate. And he knows that. So I'm not saying anything that they're mm. at school. Um, but I'm also not in the camp that um, the other people in that necessarily Daniel interferes with everything and that every transfer deal has to be done by Daniel. But you made pointed observations about um, I've dealt, I've given the cards that I've been dealt in terms of when you're being put under pressure by the media to explain either a performance or an outcome, you made observations about um, the cards I was dealt post the January transfer window. I'm assuming that you didn't get players that maybe you would like to have had or no, something of that nature. But it doesn't make sense. I remember the conversation. I remember the conversation. What Daniels had with me and said, "Do you want anything in January?" I said, "No." The last thing I want is more players. I said, "What are you offering me, Lionel Messi and Ronaldo?" And then I'll consider it. 
But if you give me a, a, a few more average players, I don't want them because we can cope with what we got here. And it was just about trying to get as many points as we possibly could to take us into Europe. He said pretty much couldn't start we had. Um, Champions League was going to be out of the question. See if you can get us into Europa League. And that was the job. I just, again, I'm going to get, I'm going to get on your nerves about this contract because Daniel himself said we agreed an 18-month contract. Did he? Yeah. With a break calls at the end of well, the he season. He owes me a few quid then. Does he? But it wasn't that. And for you, it was just a case of you were asked, you were in situ at the club, you were working with a coaching staff, technical director. Is that what you were doing? What, what does that mean, by the way? Technical director. I don't think what was I technical director. I don't know. I have no that's, idea. That's what, what my briefing notes told no, me. No, I just oversaw the development of the younger players and tried to push them towards the first team, right? Which is a, obviously a difficult job, depending on who the manager is, um, because sometimes they have no interest in putting any kids. Um, or even watching a football match where the kids are playing. So it's difficult to push them forward. But I have, I always felt I had that personality to to still voice it and fight for the kids, for their futures, because I've, I've trod their path, you know, I've been developed. And Do you think that's a better place for you? I, love, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I really did. But um, I think I'm... You know, I'm open-minded. See what see what's there, but I I, I love the development phase. I thought it was fantastic. And I feel like I've got a personality. No matter who that person is, to go and knock on the door and say you need to be playing X, Y, and Z in front of X, Y, and Z already in your dressing room, who might have cost a few quid. You should have saved your money. I think when any manager takes their eye off the academy, I think it's totally wrong. Right. I think Arsenal have got it perfectly right at the moment. They're bringing all them academy boys through the system. Some of them are their best players. And that allows them to go out and buy likes of Jesus and Zinchenko, play Jorginho's wages, because you can make the difference players because you saved your budget on five or six academy boys who have, have come through the system. And I think that it's really important that big clubs... Get a um, balance get the balance correctly. And I think uh, obviously Tottenham have, have not got it right recently. You know, Oliver Skip is is a boy who's come through. Harry Winks has had to go out to Sampdoria. And everyone will say, you know, from the outside, well, they're not good enough. But how do you know they're not good enough until they get a fair crack of the whip? I mean, a lot of the players they brought into the club haven't been good enough. And they've spent 40, 50, 60 millions on these players and they're no longer there. Um, so they waste enough money. I just think it's really important to keep your eye over that academy fence and see what is emerging. But if no one's prepared to fight for these kids, then they're never going to get through the system. This culture at Spurs that gets spoken about quite a lot. And it seems to me that there's a lot of similarity between what you were saying back in your day when you talked about the team capitulating and happens too often against the big sides. And then it goes on to Antonio Conte, you know, the best part of, you know, two-thirds of a decade later, saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, how bad is this Spurs culture? I've got a theory on it. I mean, I'm not sure if it's correct. It's just from my view of being there. I think some of the players who, who come to Tottenham are too comfortable. They're coming to a, to a club in the biggest league in the world, the fantastic training ground, which they have now, never had the main ground, which probably makes them even worse now. And I used to have the argument with Daniel Levy. I used to say to Daniel, look, he, he used to have the perception that everyone should want to come to Tottenham because of the training ground and look at the, you know, the restaurants magnificent the and, points, the, yeah. and the hand dryers dry your hand in three seconds. And I used to say, no one gives a shit about that. If it was me, I said, I want to come and I'll say, can we win? 
Are we going to win? How much are you paying? Of course it's important. I mean, you'd be stupid not to argue that. But if you're going to get to pay the same money at Tottenham as to what you're going to get paid at Arsenal or Chelsea, why why are they coming to Tottenham ahead of them clubs? Or are we not going? Are we not fishing in the same pond as them now? You know, and I think at the moment, I would suggest Chelsea and Arsenal are fishing in a different pond now because they've put themselves in the Champions League. Chelsea haven't, but Chelsea mm -hmm. are going to have to pay a lot more money to recruit players. Now, you're going to need that environment where they're going to want to recruit and want to come to Tottenham because they feel like they can win. And that is always going to be difficult. But, and that's why they're on that slippery but slope. But this allegation of this constant culture, it goes back to when you were playing there, to when you ended up managing it, to the next version of it with a nailed-on winner. Well, we won there when I was playing. You, what, League Cup? Yeah, well, it's, well okay. they, they weren't trying that down now. No, fair enough. But they've had Jose Mourinho. Yeah. They've had Antonio Conte. You know, proven winners at the club and the culture's not changed. I think the best culture they've ever had is when Pochettino was there. When yes, he didn't win right. anything, become bloody close to winning. He come closer than any other managers ever come. He takes on the Champions League final, a couple of uh, League Cup finals, not managed to cross the line. But I don't think his team was soft. I think they were changing their mindset of everyone. Everyone enjoyed playing the style. The fans were loving the style. Um, I don't think it was down to that. So they, Daniel's tried everything. So it's not a Spurs culture, then, is it? I don't think it's it just is. effective managers. Yeah, being in there. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense to me otherwise. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be well, I, clever I, about you it. You can understand where the Tottenham fans look for a common denominator and they say, who's been the ever present? Yeah. And it's the, the owner and Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy. But I can tell you from being on the inside, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. I really believe that. But it must be. I mean, I'm not trying to pin you down for the purpose of this conversation, but it must be. Because if you've got Conti in there that says the same thing as you say 10 years later, mm. What's the common denominator? The well, Spurs fans yeah. and the ownership. And who creates the culture? I mean, the culture is a sort of throwaway expression because we're really talking about good players and good managers. Mm. And then it comes down to recruitment. But we've got to we've got to wrap it up in a situation where if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck. Mm. The, the culture of who you recruit, who is allowed to behave in a certain way and who is not, comes from the guy that employs the people that enforce those standards, doesn't it? Well, it... Yeah, I, I, you don't want to go down this route, do you? <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind going down that route, but I find it hard to pin it onto that man. I really do. I mean, he, he, people would think I would have a different relationship with with Daniel, but I've got I'm an open relationship yeah. with him. I, I I would tell him if he's made mistakes, and I have done in the past, and like likewise, he would tell me, um, and I've made a few. And but he's the one who's employing the people at heads of the. the the departments. So if the departments are not getting their heads together and producing winning sides, then ultimately it's the it's the man at the top has to take responsibility. So I'm finding it very difficult to fathom what how it can be pointed in his direction because he's only trying to do the best for the football club. So Spurs will always be a riddle wrapped up in an enigma. But here's the thing. I don't think that the culture of Liverpool was defined by John Henry. I think they just gone when I got Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. And got a guy in there that was given a bit of time and built a culture. Enough. And okay, it's not great this season for Liverpool, yeah. but they've got more about them than Spurs have. His recruitment. Is that just history of football Jürgen clubs? Klopp, magnificent manager, one of the best we've ever seen. But he worked alongside one of the best we, I've ever seen as well in Michael Edwards. And that is key. Recruitment of players. You know, in the, you can't get a job done unless you've got the tools. 
And I think he gave him the tools and he had the right man to turn it into wins. And that's exactly what he'd done. No coincidence, Michael's left that club now. When you, when you, I mean, you, you strike me as someone that's, you know, strike me, you are, as someone that doesn't pull any punches. But you've also talked about authenticity and honesty. I think it's refreshing. Mm. I think it takes bollocks to call it as it is. And I think you live and die with mm. your decisions as a result of it. But you say it's been in part responsible for an element of your downfall, whatever yeah. that downfall means. Not necessarily at Tottenham because I knew the outcome right. there. And Daniel knew what he was putting into the area. I mean, it was no different as a development coach. I was no different as a player. He dealt with me then um, to how I was as a manager. I've always been straightforward. I've always been very honest with him. And I think he appreciated that. Um, there's certain things on football inside. Certainly, I tried to to educate him on when someone was suggesting somewhere right. else. So, Make him aware of, yeah. So we have a good decent relationship regarding that at Villa was completely different I think when when I went in there Randy Lerner for four years was trying to sell the football club it was too good an opportunity for me to turn down I had right. to go in there magnificent club loved it um, when we sat down I spoke to Tom Fox who's the chief executive know, yeah, at the time yeah, yeah, that's right. he said to me you know what I said what's the objective he said we'll stay in the league I said, okay. I looked at the squad. Um, if I believed, and I genuinely mean this, if I believed that I couldn't have kept him in the league, I wouldn't have took the job. Um, I felt that with the with the strike power we had with Ben Teco, who hadn't played for two months previous to me going in there, um, Fabian Delft, um, Tom Cleverley, uh, Westwood, three real you know, British lads in the midfield area, Jack Grealish emerging, Jack Grealish who... who had hardly played um, I felt we had enough I felt I could do the job to win enough games to stay in the league um, so I agreed to go there and we managed to stay in the league we obviously had a great cup run and and it it, it helped I think the cup run helped us with the confidence to get some results in the Premier League as well some people see it as a hindrance you know but I felt it really helped us so the following season unfortunately things took a turn for a worst. You know, Benteke had left. Um, Brendan Rodgers called me and said, look, Tim, we're going to, out of courtesy, we're going to take the buyout clause of Benteke. I tried to tell Brendan how bad he was, like tongue in cheek, you know, trying to put him off because I knew he was the reason why we'd stay in the league again. Um, he said, no, no, we're going to we're going to take the clause. So I ring, remember ringing up Tom Flock, said, look, we're going to lose Christian. Yeah. And he said, it's impossible. No one's going to pay that money. I said, but Brendan is. Yeah. And, yeah. and Fabian Delph, we need to keep hold of. He's got an £8 million buyout. Why don't you give him £8 million? He wants to stay. you know. And then you start negotiating from there. He's going to go to Man City. In the end, you can't blame the boy. You know, He goes to Man City, wins stuff, plays games. and um, Fantastic lad. Ron Vlar, they wouldn't want to renew his contract. It's someone who's... You know, steady Premier League player. You know, just come on the back of a Euros or something for for Holland. So we had the heart ripped out of us, really. The foundation, what I'm talking about, you know. And uh, when I spoke to Randy about players we're bringing in, he said that he he felt that over 18 months previous to me coming in, that the recruitment guys had done a, a job for highlighting some very good young talent around Europe, predominantly French. Uh, and he said you've developed young players before so I was thought, say, wouldn't that be music to your ears well, yeah brilliant yeah. We, I feel like we can do it again I said Randy the difference is I've known them boys since they were like 10 12 years of age I said oh, and it's okay bringing them players in but you're trying to decorate a tree you ain't got I said so it's really important that you keep these these other guys around well it's impossible we can't keep them because they're going there I said well we need some Premier League experience in so so it was a difficult job uh, felt like the Really, the rug was pulled from under my feet. Goalposts moved, brought in a sporting director from 
behind my back, um, guy called Henrik Amstad. Well, um, what, what, what do you mean behind your back? Well, I told him I didn't. We went the, the season previous. Yeah. We had a couple of trips with, to Holland and we met free. On one day, we met free sporting director propose. Would you think that was part of your, just out of curiosity, because I wouldn't, but would you think that was part of your gift to be involved in that then, sporting director? To to bring in one, yeah, to to be part of the recruitment process. Oh, I, I wouldn't have thought that, that was your gift. I would have thought that was the owner putting a sporting director in yeah. to interface with you. Yeah, but also it's the I I I've got a right to tell him that I don't agree with the process. When I listen to you, right, my, again, I tell you this from the outset. I I I listen to you now, and my first reaction when I was uh, told I was doing this with you was, yeah, well, okay, right, I'm not entirely sure about him, and I'm not entirely sure that he's got a lot of substance. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'll get to my point now, is that the more I listen to you, the more I think, if I was an owner of a football club, if, they, if they'd have asked me before the show, or asked me before I read, well, after I read some of the stuff that I was asked to read, to get some background onto you, to establish the principle of what you are, rather than what I know you to be from a TV screen, mm. I would have gone, no, nah, not for me. Yeah. But the more I listen to you, the more I'd go, yeah, for me. Absolutely, mm. because I'm a, I'm, I'm a person that wants people to have the courage of their convictions, back their yeah. own opinions. But you find yourself in conflict as a result of this. You find yourself not getting an opportunity to. I know you've said, I know I've got it that it was only a short-term contract, I Spurs. Yeah. But but there's still fact is that you had a 50% win record. You were doing all right. I Spurs finished sixth in the league. I don't know why you wouldn't have been in the consideration for Daniel's looked at. Because right? you were already done with Pochettino. But during that time, you okay, fine. I can't no, argue I'm, with that. You know more than that yeah. than I do. But then you were in Aston Villa. You were in for precisely the same amount of games, and then you're out the door. At Aston Villa, yeah, having gotten to an FA Cup final. Okay, the season might have started badly, but you've got balls, mm. you've got yeah. courage, and you've got honesty on your side, and you've got decency, and uh, clearly you can win games, and clearly you can't ask a manager yeah. to make a silk purse out of a sales ear. So people yeah. aren't blind. Yeah, the owner isn't an idiot. Yeah, he can see that you haven't got the tools. So why are you but finding he, he... yourself in a situation where people parody you because you wear a gilet? Yeah, right. And out of jobs. They're all wearing jillies now, though. Oh, yeah, fine. Okay, right. <laughs> you, you were ahead of the time, right? Good repost. But, but that doesn't, it doesn't chime with me, Tim, because I find myself really yeah. listening to you and thinking, what? he's a good bloke, actually. I, I tell you what, he's got a lot about him. I know Why what it would is. He... It's, just, it's not about football. It's about personality of someone. If, if someone's honest with me and straightforward, I'll back them to the hill. If they twist on me, they got a problem. And that is that is... My fault, right? It's me as a person that, and and I felt that not Daniel and not Tottenham, no. because I knew we obviously know the journey with Villa. I thought they twisted on me. I thought they moved the goalposts. Do you on think me. it's a bait and switch? They offered you one was, thing, and then the reality of it's something different. It was something different. They bring right. the sporting director in. They've got these ideas of all these players coming into the football club, and it was a hard task. And I remember talking about honesty. I remember Brandy coming to the training ground. He, he started coming a lot more, and I was thinking, oh, good, started to show a lot more interest. So I remember putting having the board there with all the players, two players in every position, wherever. Very few Premier League games going into the next season, um, and I said to him, "What do you think of that?" And he said, I'm really encouraged about, as you would, you know, because it's, it's basically his team, not mine. And um, he asked me, I said, it's a relegation battle. This is before a ball was kicked. Now, you'll say, well, you're bloody stupid. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. Absolutely, you don't want yeah. to hear that. But I wanted to be honest with him. And then I didn't want him to think, but why you, but, are we but, winning every game? But that, but I should have kept quiet. I should have kept my mouth shut. Yeah, okay. I should have kept, kept would you do different? Would you do it differently now? If I wanted to keep Was that it, about you? 
Was that about you going, I'm not having a fucking relegation on my fucking roster? No, 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 no. No, no one wants that. No. No one wants that. The thing is, it's the worst thing in the world to see, you know, when you actually leave the football club for the team to start winning. Right. I yeah, mean, of course, yeah. as a manager, yeah. I mean, yeah. so, but I'll, Remy Gard went So you were delighted when they didn't then? Yeah, I loved them support. We had a great relationship in a very short space of time with them support as a magnificent football club, huge club. Until you go there, you don't realise how big that is. But no one wants to see the team win when you leave. No. So right. Remy Gard managed to lose pretty much every game yeah. after. Yeah. They changed him by That was Tom Fox November. again. That was Tom Fox Tom again. Fox again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, Henrik leaves, Tom Fox leaves, Paddy Riley leaves, and then I'm left swinging. You know, I'm already done for. But And so is Remy Gard. But... Maybe they need to look at themselves and say, perhaps they're right here. I remember the conversation I had with Tom. Tom said to me, look, Tim, we were going to make a change. I said, totally understand it, but let me tell you something. Who do you think is going to keep this group of players up? This group of players are destined for the championship because that is what you give me. They might be good players in the end, but we needed some foundations and we never put them in. But do you still stand by that? Because, I mean, obviously, um, we've seen Bournemouth this year and you were quite specific on the fact that that team were going to get relegated. Yeah. And they, they haven't. Rolled the Be dice. They rolled uh, the dice. They spent on, money. In, in January? Yeah. But you might have got to January. You've come out at the beginning of the season at Villa, gone, no, I'll tell you what, Chairman, that's not going to work. Those group of players are going to get us relegated. Yeah. Rather than start the season with, okay, this is going to be a difficult one. And I'm going to work with what I've got and I'm going to get, I'm going to get out of these players what I require. Yeah. You get to December and you go to the Chairman, right, I'll tell you, I fucking work yeah. the Oracle here. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's January now, so I'm going to have to have win, yeah. win nip and tuck here. Yeah. I'm going to have to have a bit of support in January. Absolutely. So you, do you Scott, look back? Scott's done exactly. Scott Parker pretty much done exactly what I did. Shot himself in the foot. Yeah. He did it. Yeah. I mean, speaking too much, too yeah. honest, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden someone gets the benefit of the money what he spent. But he's done a brilliant job, Gary O'Neill, because what they've done as a, as a club there, and Maranakis at Nottingham Forest as well, they rolled the dice. They rolled the dice, and I was thinking, whoa. They yeah, could Forest end up. Did, yeah. They yeah. could end up. Yeah. I mean, even Bour yeah. Bournemouth, for Bournemouth, I mean, that's over £100 million they spent, and they spent it in the right areas, and he's getting a tune in January. out of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in January. But but you could have got there as well. But in your, So are could you looking done. back on it and going, Abs do you know what? Yeah, stupid. Maps I should have done it stupid that Stupid thing to say right. to, the, to the chairman who thinks that he's going to have a nice little season with the thing, but I was just too honest and, and more for So you do me. it differently now? Yeah. Do you want to get back into management? I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not really sure. I mean, I've, I've got... I've got so much else going on in my life, you know. I've still, I'm, and I'm a firm believer. We're only here once, unless you're yeah. Christian Eriksen, and and, <laughs> yeah, and then I, point. I just think it's 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 time. You know what it's like, even as a, as a chairman. Mm -hmm. But when you're standing in that dugout, so I I sit there sometimes and, and I listen to pundits and and talking about manager this. Uh, I mean, until you've actually, I know it's a short space of time, but when you stand in that technical area, you you know what it's like. You know, everyone's looking at the back of your head, giving it do mm. something. And it comes not only the players and the people in the stadium, it's around the world, huge clubs like Aston Villa and, and Tottenham Hotspur. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to manage them two great clubs. Um, I wish it was for longer. Um, I still think I'm capable. I really do. And I'd love, I, if you ask well, me now, like you want to do my, it. I, my it's... dream job is, is the development job to help a manager. If I'm in the development, not take his job, but to develop alongside him, keep an eye on the academy, knowing exactly what he needs to step up and save the club money so they can spend it in the right areas in the transfer market rather than waste and block up pathways of young players from their academy it would cost them zero. You um, you still got the view 
I don't know when you said it, but it's something that's attributed to you about um, English managers and foreign managers. And I'll, I'll read the quote to you, because then you can say you said it or you didn't say it. Unfortunately, the doors are wide open here in England for foreign managers. It's sexier to bring a foreign manager in, just like it's sexier to bring a foreign player. I always say if your name doesn't end in IRO, you've got no chance. And do you know what that feels like? That feels like an old football lag English manager, like Harry Redknapp used to say. He's what Harry Redknapp said. I know you like Harry, and I like Harry too. Um, uh, Eddie Howe, if his name was Eduardo Suarez, he'd have more chance of managing a top six side. Well, that's not proven to be right because he's managing top, he's managing Newcastle now, but that's a that's a, just a, a, a fortunate break in terms of where Newcastle's ownership model has changed. But I don't think that's true. I think English managers have earned the reputation they've got. English managers before have been difficult to work with, are so clever, institutional, come from a background of we don't do it this way, we're going to do it that way, not prepared to evolve, not prepared to embrace the next evolution of learning curves. Not that I think that buzzwords and bywords and all that should be part of it. Do you still think that's the case, that English managers are prejudiced by the fact it's more sexy to employ a foreign manager when really all, all us guys want is someone in that fucking dugout mm. that can win games? Yeah, well, I think it's with with regards to the players first and foremost. I think it's easier to bring a player in from from a foreign league who's who's played in inferior leagues, um, and his stats and numbers look very sexy. Um, but when he comes into your house, it's a completely different scenario. What does sexy mean? Tim? Well, mean meaning I'll give you a good example of it. Adam Smith, boy, I had is a. For instance, I mean, I couldn't think of a more English name than Adam Smith. He's at Bournemouth now. He's played probably 400 more games in the Premier League. Now, Tottenham have tried to find a right back for many, many years. They could have had that kid. Um, but it was easier to go and bring in another six players from abroad who never made it and not there anymore. From the fans' point of view, they're not excited about Adam Smith coming in there, even though you do the job. Mm. They're more excited about signing an unknown player from France or Italy or Spain. Um, and see how he gets if on. It comes out of a youth development, though, aren't they? They're quite well, not like really. That. Not you really. Don't think so? Not really. No. No. It depends. What, it depends what club you're at. Um, it takes a lot of this one of our own business, Harry Kane song. I never actually heard that, you know, and he he did very well for me, but it, it takes some a lot of good performances over a number of years yeah. for them to get accepted. Whereas a player coming in, hitting the ground running, foreign player, gets lauded straight away. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And that that's my my view of it. I just think in the end, the, the homegrown player will end up being your best player. That's why they get statues outside the clubs of Tony Adams and, and Harry Kane will get a, yeah. a statue outside the club. With regards to managers, I think it's a... Well, you could, I mean, you could make the same argument for Aguero or Vincent Company, though, can't you? They're not homegrown players. They've no, come into not. English football and smashed it and just been very good. Yeah. Oh, they've been over a number of years, yeah. yeah. Been, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Well, so no, no, one's, no one's opposed to fantastic, brilliant players uh, improving our leagues. Everyone wants that. But what I'm trying to stop I'm is the, the, relationship average, with the, the average players yeah. coming in. I mean, let's go, let's go through them. Who's, who's Chelsea's best, greatest player of all time? John Terry. Yeah. Homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Agreed. Liverpool? Yeah. Gerrard? Possibly. It'd be, a, be yeah. an argument, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Man United? Skulls? Yeah. It'd be an argument for it. You're falling into the camp of going, uh, you know, it ain't my fault. It's the fact that these idiots over here just want to employ foreign foreign managers no, and no. foreign players I know because it's an easier way to the go. Foreign managers, they have more experience. They they're coming from a development league like Portugal or France or Spain, where 
they get an opportunity to manage. Even in our pyramid system here, you know, you hear a lot of managers saying, why don't they do their apprenticeship lower down and then build their way up? Delusions of grandeur, like a lot of these owners down in League One, League Two and Championship. You don't get the opportunity. And if you get sacked from there, how on earth are you going to get a chance to manage in the Premier League? Whereas if you're in Portugal, you know, they play, and it's down, a lot of it is down, Simon, to the, the style but you, of But are you seeing, aren't we seeing Frank Lampard getting dropped in? By the way, he shouldn't have got the Chelsea job in my view. But aren't you seeing Frank Lampard going into Derby, getting a job at Derby in a championship with a delusional owner and then landing up at Chelsea and Everton and then yeah, back at Chelsea. Aren't we seeing Wayne Rooney going and doing the same thing at Derby, not to the same level of potential success mm. because of the nature of the fact he was handicapped? And then we've seen other players that have been big-time players that have gone in to, uh, to manage Teddy Sheridan being one that weren't actually able to do it, and it's got nothing Why to do. Why wasn't he able to do it? Yeah, your perception is he's not able to do it because well, he he's didn't, at Stevenage. Well, it Stevenage, yeah. yeah but, but it's all levels of but success, isn't it? Exactly. But what is he going to Stevenage for? It's a different sport to what right. he's used to. So, But in Portugal and France and Italy, it's not. Levels are different. Yes, they've got better players, but the style of how they play is quite similar to how they play in the elite leagues. The Premier That's League is a completely point. different sport to the Championship, to League One and to League Two. So it's very difficult oh, to granted. jump out of them. There yeah, is a, there, Obviously, there is exceptions. You're going to get a few who do take the step up, but very, very few. So and you, th th so you th think my argument, for what it's worth, of the fact that it's got nothing to do... You, you, nothing to do with the fact that people are prejudiced against English managers. It's got everything to do with the way the English managers behave themselves. Because let's get it right, Tim. There's seven managers in the Premier League now that are English. Not so much that I think it's seven or eight that are now either English or from these aisles. Mm. Uh, whereas before it was everybody yeah. was was a foreign manager. So it's moving back again. So yeah. the opportunities well, are getting moved, better. It is moving. You, you, you're saying seven at yeah. a good time because they've come in for the rescue package, aren't they? When the plane's going down, they've reached under the yeah, seat and pulled Sam out. These... I'm not bringing Sam into it. I'm looking across the board. Yeah, we've got at David Moyes. You've got he's, he's a rescue. He's yeah. a rescue package. Yeah. You know, you've got these guys who are coming in to do one job. What do you make of the decline of people like Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard? Really sad. Lingard, not so much, right? I think Jesse. I think Deli can still come round. I really do. Do you not do. think he's I done? I don't think he's done. I think he's young enough, but he needs someone to talk to and someone needs to get some sense into him. He's still, he's, he hasn't turned into a bad player overnight. He's lost his way. Certainly lost his way. You can't Was he not it one of those that was built up? I mean, Gordon Strachan tells me, and I'm going to bow to Gordon Strachan's knowledge, that he was the best number 10 he'd seen. And I was like, you sure? And I'm, then I'm not going to argue because I'm getting into territory mm. where I'm going to be out maneuvering. I'm bringing a knife to a gunfight in that yeah, conversation yeah, with yeah, all the yeah. Strachan. But do you not think that Deli Ali is the embodiment of this mentality of building these players up mm. to what they're not at? And that's why we have the English premium on players and the English yeah, yeah. tax on players. And all that well, sort of we stuff. come from obviously MK Dons and he hits the floor running. He's got a manager who wants mm. to work with him, wants to improve him. He's buying into the style of how they're trying to play. He's not um, a 10 in the mould of a Dennis Burkham or a Zola or a back-to-goal man. He's, he's a Frank Lampard. He's someone who bursts and arrives into the box. His goal-scoring record was fantastic. Um, the team played to his strengths. They really did. Now, he needs he's he's got as much quality to realise that he needs to adapt um, and he needs to find a way and, it, and he needs to look at himself at the moment and, and say, I can still pull this around. Don't blame anyone else. He needs to look at himself and yeah. realise that he's still young enough. He really is. But I'd, I would love to see him turn it around because I think he'll get a lot of credit for that. You know, as much as he feels like everyone's against him now, yeah. I think everyone would admire Disappointing, the fact that he wants it? Because to pull he's it lost, around. I mean, I watched him go to Everton 
um, and turn up on the pitch. And I don't imagine that you would have ever been like this. Turn up on a pitch, like I said at the time, looks like a refugee from Pirates of the Caribbean. He's walking out on a football pitch in front of a big crowd mm. looking for him to be part of their salvation. And he turns up, you know, looking like he slimed out of a dustbin, mm. not really understanding the reality of he's being presented to a group of fans. Mm. And they're looking at him as Deli Ali coming in to, as a big signing for Everton. And I find that culture... Um, and that attitude and that surrounding influence around him to be spending more time being worried about mm. advertising boohoo clothes. Well, he puts, rather than... you, puts yourself on off out when you when you do things like that. But if he would have um, been the player, what we think he can be, and and he, at the football club, no one would have be talking about it. You wouldn't no, be mentioning no, it now. No, but... Maybe I would. I still want standards. Yeah, you still want standards. You're a person that strikes me as having standards. Got Danny Van Der Beek standing next to you in an Everton suit and looking the part and respecting mm. the culture and understanding that this is a big football club and I'm coming to play for and then you've got Delhi coming along looking like he's about to go out to a rave mm. no I don't, I don't think it's relevant I really don't I okay. just think they're, they're interested they're, they can wear what they want as long as they're performing um, which he did neither so you know, I just think it's a state of mind Tim is my point yeah. not to labour the point I think it's a state of mind I think you know if you, if you if someone that presents himself in the right way often behaves in the right way often gives you outcomes that are the right way and i'm just disappointed to watch the decline and have clearly the influences around him that aren't mm. necessarily giving him the right guidance i because... still think there's time i really do yeah. and, I, and i don't I think, think you're an idealist it, there i don't think is i don't think it's uh, a case of him finding the right club what fits him i think he needs to really make his mind up that he needs to be the right person to fit Again. that football club yeah. um and not just wait for it to happen because it won't I mean, yeah, something I mean, needs to change and I think Delhi needs to talking to and realise And some that people around him to give him the Absolutely. Yeah. I think he needs, obviously he's, he's, either, maybe not, he's, just, he's either not listening or he's, uh, or he's maybe, not getting the advice. Or maybe just the lights have gone out. I remember talking to David Bentley in Marbella when he was about 28 years of age and he just said, I'm not playing anymore. Mm. I've had enough. I'm not going to play anymore. And I was like, 28 years of yeah. age? But Delhi's not high. I mean, he's 25, 26, 20, isn't Yeah, it? I mean, he's a baby. Yeah. yeah, still time. It'd be a real shame because he is a talent. We know that. Anyway, Tim... Listen, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's a bit different than I anticipated it would be. Um, and I think actually I've come away with a very different opinion. But anyway, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for being up front Pleasure. with us today. Pleasure. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.